Well, I think the big thing is if you don't understand what's happening in your setting, you could be focused on entirely the wrong things. If you want to move forward, you have to begin with a good sense of where you are. That's the case in pretty much any profession, but it's especially true in teaching. If I don't have a very clear focus on what's happening in my classroom, I don't have a clear picture, I might not be that motivated to change because I, I just don't see what's needed. But often when people watch the video, they go, holy smokes, I've got to do something about that. So they're more focused, they're more committed to change. Teachers recording and sharing videos of their own teaching practice isn't exactly new, but more and more school leaders are seeing the value of using video outweigh the discomfort that sometimes comes along with it. I have to see reality every day, and maybe it's a little painful, but to get better, you have to see it. And that's a really interesting dynamic about, about the use of video. Welcome to the podcast for education leaders. Each episode, we bring you stories of people who are finding creative ways to solve problems, improve schools, advance teaching, and impact students in the classroom. From experts in the field to superintendents, to principals, from departments like HR and instruction to the business office. We're speaking with leaders who have stories to tell, and we're sharing those conversations here. From Frontline Education, you're listening to Field Trip. Dr. Jim Knight is a well-known researcher and speaker and is president of the Instructional Coaching Group. He's written numerous articles and books on instructional coaching, such as The Impact Cycle, Better Conversations, Unmistakable Impact, and Focus on Teaching. Today, we're speaking with him about the use of video as a tool to improve instruction. Dr. Knight, thank you for making time today. It's my pleasure. You've written and spoken about the use of video for high-impact instruction quite a bit. You have a book about it that came out in 2014 called Focus on Teaching. But we really have to start with thinking about video itself. Could you tell me a little bit, why is video important for educators to consider? Well, you know, the first thing I'd say is that um, we've seen the power of video in lots of other uh, fields. You know, you wouldn't have a middle school football team in America that doesn't watch themselves on video and lots of performing artists watch themselves on video speakers. And the, the reason why uh, I think video is so important is that um, it uh, provides you with a picture of reality you can't get while you're actually doing the, the job. So a hockey player, for example, might not know how out of position he is or um, how slowly he's trying in certain circumstances or any number of different things unless unless he sees the video, when he sees the video, he goes, holy smokes, I had no idea. And that's why athletes, whether they're in a, a middle school or they're in a, a university or professional athletes, watch themselves on video all the time. And it's the same thing with teachers. What we found, and not just teachers, but people in uh, the way they have conversations, the, the, the way people lead organizations in an educational context, just about everybody. But most people don't have a very clear picture of what it looks like when they have conversations or when they do their work. How do you think video can support effective professional development in K-12 then? What does that look like? Well, I think the big thing is if you don't understand what's happening in your uh, setting, you you could be focused on entirely the wrong things. So unless I see what's happening in my classroom, I could invest a whole bunch of time learning something that isn't actually what's needed. But when I see the video, I get a much clearer sense of where the priority, the priority should be. And the second thing is if I don't have a very clear focus on what's happening in my classroom, I don't have a clear picture, 
I might not be that motivated to change because I, I just don't see what's needed. But often when people watch the video, they go, holy smokes, I've got to do something about that. So they're more focused. They're more committed to change. I can imagine someone saying, look, you, you've sold me on the value of video to support great teaching, but I don't think my teachers are going to be comfortable with it. I don't know where to start. And I know that you have a number of guidelines that are really helpful for districts and, and educators to follow. What, what might some of those be? Well, the first thing I'd say is that they're probably right. It is hard to watch yourself on video. Um, it's hard for a number of different reasons. We don't like the way we look, and um, often we're a little disappointed with our practice. But um, the way forward, the way to get better isn't by avoiding reality. It's by looking reality full on. And so video, video gives you a clear picture of reality. And after a few times, you get used to it, and then it just becomes a tool you use. The first time is it's kind of like hearing your voice for the first time on a recording to the power of 10. Hmm. The way you move, what your voice sounds like, all kinds of things are a little disconcerting. But once you get to it, you're, you're good. The one thing I would say, and then I do have a couple suggestions, but one thing I would say is we see it varies more by school than it does by person. Hmm. So in other words, if uh, you wanted to introduce video in a school, likely either mo almost everybody would do it or hardly anybody would do it. It's not really an individual thing, it's a culture thing. And I think the issue is if people feel psychologically safe and they feel they can trust the people they work with, then they're good. But if um, people don't feel psychologically safe, they're not gonna open themselves up to a sort of a moralistically judgmental situation. Just a couple guidelines, I don't think it should be forced. I think it should be a choice. I think growth and learning should always be Expected. I think that's a that's a non-negotiable in any kind of organization. But how you learn is up to you. And I think if teachers in a whole school don't want to do it, you should step back and say, well, what is it? But why don't we have that trust there? If they don't think that we're being honest with them, if they don't they don't feel that we're warm towards them, we have their best interest at heart. And you have to analyze what the source is because forcing it is not going to solve the problem. What's going to solve the problem is something else. You uh, you've used the phrase "go slow to go fast." What do you mean by that? I think it's important that you realize just because you think it's a good idea, uh, other people aren't going to be with you on that unless they can truly see the value of what's what you're proposing. And uh, so what I really think is a good strategy is to start with some of the people in the school district. If you're a coach, for example, who are in the school, who are informal leaders in the school, and you want someone where you go to them and you say, look, would you try this out? and tell me if you think it's valuable. And then if you like it, other people will probably like it because they, they trust what you have to say. I think also it's probably essential that the, that the leaders in the school use video. So if a principal who says, I expect you to use video, but I'm not doing it, is probably not gonna get a lot of people on board. But if the principal says, look, I just video recorded myself modeling a lesson in class and the coach is gonna coach me and uh, tells that to the staff and, or video records herself giving professional development or leading meetings or other kinds of conversations. If the principal does it, if the coach does it, if the assistant principal does it, and if they're using video, then it's going to be more likely that other people will be likely to embrace it. It's that old idea of walking the talk. You know, if you want people to embrace something, you need to do it yourself. Sure. Your book discusses a number of ways that video can be used to improve teaching, both by teachers themselves, by coaches, by principals, by teams. Let's start with coaches. If I'm a coach, I can already observe teachers in the classroom. So what else does video bring to the table? 
Well, the trouble is that people often don't have a clear picture of current reality because of a number of different perceptual errors. I'm not just talking about teachers. It's, it's, it's true of any kind of leadership position or any kind of performer or whatever. You know, we have a tendency to look for data, what's called confirmation bias, a tendency to look for data that reinforces our, our perceptions of things. We also get used to stuff over, over time, what's called habituation. And so what we think is happening and what's really happening are often quite a bit different. And so and video also allows us a chance to see things we might not see. It doesn't have to be negative necessarily. So sometimes a coach will video record a class and the teacher will say, um, I heard my kids talking and I, I couldn't believe how supportive and encouraging they were. It was really a wonderful thing to see. Or I realized when I watched the video, the kids actually understood the activity even before I started. And so sometimes they'll, they'll see things that are good, not necessarily bad, or they'll See, you can't see everything, and so it provides a bigger picture. Is the idea that then the coach and the teacher look at the video together and discuss what the practice looked like at that point? Well, what we found is it's actually better initially for the coach and the teacher to watch the video separately. And that the and there's a lot of tools on our website, instructionalcoaching.com, that are free, and you can download. They're all organized by book in the resources section, so there's a whole section for uh, video for focus on teaching. But um, we think it's uh, best to have the conversation separately, especially initially, because it's a lot to take in and you might not be happy with how you look and you have to get used to your voice. You might have to watch it a couple times just to process it. And, and we think sitting down and watching it, plus it's complex. So initially, uh, we think watching it separately makes sense and you get together to talk about it. But once you've picked one thing to work on, let's say the teacher says, I really wanna shift my questions to be you know, higher order, thinking and uh, more open questions, then I think you can watch it together uh, if, it's, if it's necessary. Sometimes it's not necessary. And you're always looking for ways as a coach to make it easier for the teacher. So maybe the teacher watches it and you write down all the questions. So when you get together, you can just look at the questions. You don't have to watch the video. But initially, at least in our studies where we had coaches trying this out, what we found was the coaching conversations were very stilted initially. And, uh, and yet when we did it separately, they were a lot, a lot richer. There's just mm. too much going on for those conversations to work. As we think about teachers using video for self-reflection, both you know, recording their lesson in the classroom and then watching it and improving their own practice, are there any best practices that you would recommend for teachers who say, look, I just want to work myself on getting better and use, use video to do this? What's the most effective way to do that? You mean how, what should they be looking for? I would say, what should they be looking for? But is there a particular technique or procedure that you have found that is really helpful that might not be obvious right out of the gate? Well, initially, they probably need to watch the video twice because um, the first time through, it's like, I'm never going to wear those pants again. You know, <laughs> I can't believe um, I just saw a bald spot I didn't know was there would be kind of what I would see. So I think the the first time through, you just kind of have to get used to watching yourself. You have to grin and bear it, you know. And then the second time through to go through looking for specific things. And there's quite a few in the focus on teaching book, things like how much time was wasted, how engaged are the kids, how often did I reinforce versus correct students, which kids are responding to questions, are all the kids responding or just a few. And so there's just a, you know, there's a few simple things you can look at in the class. Some of them you can quantify and some of them are more qualitative, like uh, uh, engagement is the kind of thing that you almost have to ask the kids about that, involve them in giving you some feedback on, on their level of engagement. But you can, get a, you can get a qualitative picture of what's going on through the video. Hmm. 
As you've spoken with teachers who have done this, what are the kinds of things that they've said to you that they have seen or come away with? One thing I've heard is that um, there's this uh, Sharon Thomas, who's a uh, was a teacher in uh, Maryland. She now works with us, and she said when she watches it, it's like the MacGuffin effect in the Hitchcock movies. She always sits down expecting to see one thing, and she's looking for that one thing. But then as she watches the video, it always ends up being something else than what she thought. Hmm. And I've heard that from other people too, that their, their expectation of what they're going to see in the video and what they really see is, is quite a bit different. You, in your book, you, you mentioned a teacher who observed video of her teaching both her most engaged and least engaged classes. I wonder if you could tell that story and, and what she observed. Yeah, well, that was really cool because uh, it was, again, the kind of that MacGuffin effect. But what the teacher did is she, she had one class that was humming along really well, another class where it didn't seem to be working too well. I think if I remember correctly, she was an a elementary teacher and, uh, in Michigan. And uh, so she recorded the two classes and she looked at them sort of back to back. This is the class that's going great, the one that's not great. And she said what she realized is she was a different person, hmm. a class that wasn't going great. Her whole behavior and demeanor with those students, the way she reinforced and encouraged them, her enthusiasm, her positive attitude was different. So she used video to change the way she related to the students in the second class to make it more like the first class. She thought she'd see things in the kids. What she really saw was something in herself. Wow. What about with teams? You've written about video learning teams. Is that similar to a, a PLC? And, and what would you say is important for schools and districts to keep in mind as they structure these teams? Yeah, I think it's like a PLC where video is at the heart of the learning. And so sometimes what they're going to do is sort of a version of instructional rounds, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes where they uh, video record the class and then everybody comments on the class. Sometimes a team will pick one particular teaching practice they're trying to get good at, like. Uh, say the uh, gradual release idea of I do it, we do it, you do it. And, um, and they'll each, each person each week will bring in or whenever they get together, bring in video of them and say, this is what I like. This is what I didn't like. What do you, what do you think about how it went? And that way the teachers get to see multiple models of the practice. Um, by the end of the year, they should all be really good at it because they've seen, seen so many different people. They've explored it together. Sometimes they'll pick a theme like say questioning or engagement and uh, not so much a practice, but just a theme they're looking at, and they'll keep trying to work on that. And, and the video, you know, you don't show the whole thing. You just show a few clips, but you know, the video becomes a vehicle for that, that kind of meaningful discussion. What I would say is most important is what the professional learning community literature talks a lot about is creating a psychologically safe environment for, for collaboration. And that's especially true for video. You don't want to um, open up and then feel you've been moralistically judged by the people on the team. So I think establishing meaningful norms where everybody says, this really is the kind of team I want to be, um, is really, really important. You can't, and it can't be just some little quick thing. There should be a lot of discussion about what kind of team do we want to be? How are we going to monitor what we're doing so we really do create a safe environment? And then lastly, you talk about how principals can use video to enhance teacher evaluations. How does that work? Well, again, I would make it a choice. I wouldn't make it a, a forced thing. But um, personally, if I was teaching and I was being evaluated, I'd like to have video evidence of what's going on hmm. so I can make my case. But the idea is um, because people don't have a very clear picture of reality sometimes, and to be honest, sometimes uh, principals don't do the greatest job 
gathering the data in the classroom. Sometimes they forget a few days before they get a chance to write everything down and organize it all and they've sort of forgotten what happened. Sometimes they're not really clear on how to gather that data in a way that's reliable. So when you use video, what you do is, or at least the way we describe it is that um, the principal and the, and the coach get together and they talk about the, the, the data that's gonna be gathered for the evaluation. Let's say it's Charlotte Danielson's framework. They sit down and they go through the framework and they make sure they have a shared understanding of what it means. Uh, then with the framework, they might pick one section like instruction and just focus on that. Or they might do the whole thing, but it's a lot, it's a lot to see in one video. Then um, the principal comes in when they would do the evaluation, observation, and they video record the class. The teacher gets the video and the principal gets the video. The principal and teacher separately go through the evaluation form and fill it in. And then they get together and they talk about it. And what we heard in interviews was when you do evaluation without video, it often doesn't go very well. Sometimes the teacher doesn't think the observations are accurate. Sometimes the teacher is unclear on what's really happening in the classroom. So the conversations are a little stilted and um, they can be negative and not fostering growth. But when, when they both look at the video, they both analyze it, the conversations just are a lot more rich and meaningful. And there isn't a problem. The principal has to be able to justify her or his observations. So they need to be reliable in the way they gather the data. And, um, and the teacher sees really what's happening. And so a lot of the problems you have otherwise with those evaluation conversations kind of disappear when you do it this way. Now, evaluations can already be a bit of an anxiety-ridden process. Does, does using video add to this at all or impact that in any way? That's a good question. And I honestly don't have a good answer. I think, I think a good reason, though, why I would say I would want to make it a choice. I think if, it's, if a teacher doesn't feel right about it, we shouldn't force it on them. It, but it's, it's there. As, as I'm a principal, I'd say, this is an option we can do if you want to do it. And then as more people do it, if it's really productive and helpful and not a, not a painful ritual, but actually a, a stimulus for growth, and people like it, then other people will want to do it. So I think it could increase anxiety, but you're already pretty anxious anyway. So I don't know how much, uh, how, I, the other thing is you could make it a kind of a, a formative process. So if somebody feels the class doesn't go that well, you know, they could take another stab at using the video and see what they could do. Hmm. What do you think are the biggest hurdles, either, either real or imagined, that schools and districts face to using video to support improvements in practice? Well, the biggest hurdle is the culture of the school. If the culture of the school doesn't support, if it's not creating a safe environment in the school, and really, there's a lot of things around trust. I wrote about them in this book, Better Conversations. But a real big part of it is I need to believe that the school and the leaders in the system have my best interest at heart. And if I know they've got my best interest at heart, it's going to be pretty easy for me to agree. But if I'm not sure of that, I'm going to, I'm going to hesitate. And so, so I'd say it's really important to create a, a culture where that's going to happen. And um the second thing is not just psychological safety, but sometimes there's a culture of talk versus a culture of action. And uh, that is we do workshops all the time and we talk about evaluation and we do school improvement, but nothing really changes. We just, it's, you know, people will say, well, if I can get one good thing out of a workshop, it was worth it. And, and when you use video, the moment you push the red button on your phone or tablet, you move from a culture of talk to a culture of action. Once you look at the video, something has to happen. 
and and it's actually in some systems it's kind of countercultural to actually be working on really doing things. What would you say are the biggest pitfalls that you have seen school systems fall into that prevents them from using video effectively? Well, I think if you force people to do it, they're naturally not going to want to do it. I think that would be the biggest the biggest mistake. I think trying to rush it through because you think it's a good idea. I think it, um, something has to happen after the video. That's why coaching is so important. So just, just watching your video and not having any idea how to improve or what to do. Like I watched a video of myself presenting once and I thought, this is going to be great. I had such a great presentation. And then I watched it and it fell well short of my expectations. One of the things that I struggled with was my delivery just wasn't as smooth as I would have liked. It seemed kind of choppy. But I really didn't have anybody who was an expert on how to improve your delivery. I could have looked it up in books and stuff, but I'm not sure that would have been as helpful as someone who could have looked through the video and given me feedback and gave me strategies right there. So I think to have a coach uh, available to provide that support once a person talks to, talks to video is really going to increase the power of it. Out of curiosity, have you videotaped yourself since then to see if what you took away from that first time made any difference in your presenta- in your presenting? Um, I use video all the time, and uh, it's a kind of a funny question. Are you getting better? I'd like to think <laughs> I'm getting better, but I'm getting older too. So, like, my memory isn't as sharp as it used to be, and I need more sleep. So it, maybe it's kind of counterbalancing, but we use video in all kinds of ways. So Jenny and I, for example, my wife and I, we video record conversations. We have conversations at the end of the day about what worked and what didn't go well, and we watch those on video sometimes, and uh, we practice uh, a lot of the communication skills and better conversations through video. If I'm leading a team, I'll watch video. It's easier for me to watch myself on video when I'm, uh, when I'm presenting than it is to watch a one-to-one conversation. I think other people might, might be different, but... Um, but yeah, video is a central part of my own personal growth because you need feedback to grow. You need to see where you are. You need to see where you're trying to get to. And so it's a, it's a key part of what I do, not just professionally, but personally. I'm curious what it has looked like as you have come up with these practices that you have found to be effective in school systems. What, what does your research look like or how have you come to these conclusions that you've been writing about? So we've used a lot. We've done a lot of different studies. First, we didn't even know we were, because really we haven't studied video. It's been in the body. It's in the context of coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at first, we didn't think we were even studying coaching. We were just trying to help teachers learn new teaching practices, and we knew they would need support. So we just kind of put people in schools and said, have at it, you know. And then we had, a, we had several grants funded by Gear Up, and they provided us an opportunity to um, put – uh, instructional coaches in uh, all the middle schools and high schools in Topeka, Kansas, the home of Brown versus Board of Education. And, um, you know, they, they, that team that I led, we would meet every Friday afternoon. We'd spend a couple hours talking about what worked, what didn't work, how can we improve. We started out as learning consultants and we became instructional collaborators and we became instructional coaches. And then we had other funding through IES and uh, foundations, the Spencer Foundation, and uh, we were able to uh, do other studies, qualitative studies, where we looked at great coaches. We called the Great Coaching Study. We started out with a pool of about 2,000 coaches in Florida and narrowed it down to five. Nine of us went down there and interviewed coaches, principals, teachers. And we've used a kind of design model for research in the last uh, six or seven years where we try something out, we figure out where the friction is, 
try to remove the friction with the change. So uh, the impact cycle, the book on the coaching cycle has done that. And it's in, in that that we started. We got the idea for using video, watching the World Cup. And it um, uh, was, I think, about, I don't know, when it would have been early 2000s. And um, England was playing soccer in the World Cup, and Mick Jagger was in the stands. And they kept flashing to Mick Jagger. And uh, he had this little thing, and they said it was a flip camera. And I was like, oh, that's cool. We should get those for our research. So a couple weeks later, and then it turned out they weren't very expensive. So a couple weeks later, I gave the coaches flip cameras. And we knew about the power of video. My friend Mike Hoke had studied video uh, with tutoring programs and seen huge impact when, when he used video versus didn't. But you used to have to bring in this big machine. Kid had to show you how to use it disrupted the class and you had to go watch it in the staff lounge because you had to plug it into something else and this wasn't worth the effort but now your phone you can do it so Mick Jagger is the reason where this all came from we started to, to use it to him anyway we've done a lot of design research we've done qualitative studies one of them is going to come out pretty soon quantitative study where we um, did what's called a multiple baseline design and we watched the impact the impact on engagement was pretty dramatic as a result of that coaching there's a kind of a paradox at the heart of all of this. The paradox is to live a fulfilling life, you have to be getting better. You know, if you just stay the same all the time, something kind of shrivels up inside you. you. You impoverish your life if you don't grow and learn. That's why people read books. That's why there's so many self-help books and so forth. But to get better, you have to face reality and that, and that can be painful. And so the initial initial experience of getting better doesn't seem like it's nourishing your well-being at all. It feels, in fact, kind of, sometimes it could be really disappointing or unsettling. But you're not going to get to the point of feeling like you're really improving and growing unless you look at reality. So ironically, to get better, you have to feel worse first. You have to look at where you are. It's like right now I'm trying to get in shape so I can run more. And that means I have to lose weight. And I have to look at the scales every day and go, oh, crap, I never should have had those chips and salsa. You know, I, uh, I have to see reality every day. And maybe it's a little painful, but to get better, you have to see it. And that's a really interesting dynamic about, about the use of video. Sometimes people would rather not see reality because it hurts too much to look at reality. But in the long run, to really feel fulfilled, they have to be getting better. Dr. Jim Knight is author of Focus on Teaching, Using Video for High Impact Instruction, as well as 2017's The Impact Cycle, What Instructional Coaches Should Do to Foster Powerful Improvements in Teaching. Dr. Knight, thank you again for speaking with us today. Hey, thank you. I learned so much about asking questions, just watching you ask questions. <laughs> but it, was a, it was a pleasure. For more from Dr. Jim Knight, you can visit his site at instructionalcoaching.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. New episodes drop every two weeks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And to hear how Frontline Education's industry-leading software can help you as you recruit, hire, engage, and develop teachers and staff, visit frontlineeducation.com slash fieldtrippodcast. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. 